Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, I pray today that you'd help us as we study the Word of God, as we would look into these things that uh, you've left for us to learn and profit by and be challenged to be drawn into you and to understand your mind and that the Holy Spirit can use in the life of the unsaved and in the heart of the Christian. Father, I pray today that you would meet here in your fullness. Help me, Lord, that I would step with a bold courageousness to the message and a tenderness to your Holy Spirit's empowerment. Help each ear here to be circumcised by the Spirit of God, and may that then lead to a tender heart and an open mind to do the will of God, to listen to what you're saying today. Before I finish any further in my prayer, those especially here in this auditorium, would you personally say, God, speak to me today? Just ask him in a simple way. Ask him to, you're open to him. Now, Father, we have asked from sincere hearts for you to speak. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Acts chapter 26, please. Acts chapter 26. I don't always put titles on my message, but I did today. The 2,000-year-old testimony. A 2,000-year-old testimony that still has power in life and still bringing people to Christ. In the book of Revelation, it says that they overcame them by the word of God and by the word of their testimony. And we find a 2,000-year-old testimony that was rehearsed by a man of God that was absolutely changed by God. His life is a flaming example. We know him as Paul the Apostle. But before he got saved, he was Saul the Pharisee. And Saul the Pharisee was away from understanding what God's will was. He didn't understand the hope that was in Jesus Christ. And in very sincere form, he persecuted the church. Do you remember back around Acts chapter 12 or 13? It says that Paul, Saul, was standing as they were throwing stones and martyring Stephen. He was watching the coats. And he heard all the words of Stephen's testimony. Lord, hold this not against them. He had the face like an angel. This was impacting the heart of Saul. Until finally it came to a day that God dealt with him. And Paul is going to testify of that day that he met God. It's more than meeting God. He met Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as a Savior that day. And that very same day, Saul changed his nature till eventually he became Paul the Apostle. And I believe, personally, the day that Saul got saved, he not only got saved, he dedicated himself to the will of God. Do you know there shouldn't be a large gap between the day we got saved and the day we settled to really live for God? But unfortunately, I think there is sometimes. Sometimes people have gotten saved and never really found the other half of Paul's testimony. And maybe that'll speak to your heart today. You say, I'm saved. But maybe you need to hear what Paul heard on the second round as the voice spoke to him. Paul has rehearsed this testimony in other parts of the book of Acts. This is the last time that we're going to hear it given. I don't know that he didn't give it other times, but it's the last time recorded in Scripture. 
and it's before kings, and Paul is imprisoned, and he's being brought before the, the different kings, and there's a lot of politics and why he's still in jail. He doesn't even belong in jail anymore, but he's still in jail, and, and so one king says to another king, Agrippa, hey, how would you like to hear an interesting case? And so they, Festus calls uh, Agrippa and Paul the apostle, and Paul begins to testify. So let's just look at this 26th chapter, Paul's last testimony. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Thou art permitted to speak for thyself. Then Paul stretched forth his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King King Agrippa, because I shall answer for myself this day before thee, touching all things whereof I am accused to the Jews. You know, in verse 2, as we sort of get started on this, you know, Paul says, I'm happy to give my testimony. I'm delighted. I'm glad you asked me. You know, Christians, we ought to be delighted to share the day that we got saved. It ought to be a great joy. Why, why are you a Christian? I'm glad you asked that question. It's sort of like somebody pitching you a softball, and they pitch it right into your sweet zone. Amen? And you just say, man, that one is going to fly over the roof. I think that's about how Paul felt that day as King Agrippa says, I want to hear, and what do you have to say for yourself as touching this Jesus and all this other stuff, and why you are here this day? He said, ah, I'm glad you ask. I'm glad you ask about that. Have you had somebody ask you sometime, and maybe you sort of petered out? You chickened away. Be bold like Paul. Be glad to give a testimony of Christ. He said, I think myself happy, King. I shall answer this day for the things I'm accused. Look at verse 3. Especially because I know thee to be an expert in all customs and questions which are among the Jews, whereof I beseech thee to hear me patiently. He said, I'm especially glad to give because I think you know about spiritual things. You know, these Jews, and you've, you've, you've tried a lot of cases, and your background is that you, you know some about spiritual things. And could I say today, I especially would say to you as the preacher today, if you've known about the Lord, you've been brought up in Sunday school, and you've heard the truth, and you know what God's about, and that Jesus is the Son of God, I'm especially glad to rehearse this testimony to you today. For he says here, hear me patiently. And I would circle that in my Bible this morning. Hear patiently this testimony. What does hear patiently mean? It's like a little child that wants to keep butting in on his mom, but mom says, let me finish. Be patient. And could I say today, maybe you're saying, Pastor Butts, I've heard this story or I've got some thoughts on it or I'd like to raise my hand. I would rehearse with what Paul says this morning. Hear me patiently. Let the gospel unfold as Paul gave his testimony. Let Paul speak to your heart 2,000 years ago. Let him reach into our auditorium, and would you let him into your heart and mind this morning, and would you genuinely, listen, maybe you haven't accepted Christ as your Savior, would you at least give the honor to this testimony of 2,000 years? Would you hear it patiently this morning? Would you give it that much respect? to let God speak to you over two millennium. And he's reached out to you this morning to hear him patiently. Look at verse 4. My manner of life from my youth 
which was from the first among my own nation at Jerusalem, know all the Jews, which knew me from the beginning, if they would testify that after the most strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. Paul starts out his testimony by saying, I was a good boy. I was a spiritual boy. I was a Sunday school kid. I was one that did everything I was told to do. As a matter of fact, when I was taught spiritually, I obeyed it, and I didn't try to make excuses of it. I became a Pharisee. Now, we, I think most of us in this auditorium know there's the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes. They all are three sort of different areas, but mostly we zone in on the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Sadducees were the spiritual liberals of the day. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in the Old Testament, uh, literal following the scriptures. They were Jews in political sense, birth sense, um, national rights sense, but they didn't want to have the claims of God. That was for weak people, like the liberals would preach today. The Pharisees were the very opposite. They were super conservative, and they followed like the Ten Commandments and all the other things to the strictest, ultimate point to the law. The problem with the Pharisees is they didn't understand the Spirit of God. They kept all the dot, the I's and crossed the T's, but they didn't know God. And you know, it's very possible that you're here this morning a little bit like Agrippa, that you've been brought up with a spiritual knowledge, but you don't yet know God for yourself. I, I'm very cognizant of that. I've been a pastor for enough years to watch enough people that are religious finally get saved. Hardly, hardly a, a special meetings go by where a preacher comes in and really just really has the spirit of God preaching through him that somebody that everybody thought had the outward Pharisee look. And they say, you know what? I knew the outside, but I didn't have it inside. And so Paul says, that's my testimony. I followed after the strictest interpretation of Scripture. And I was a, this Sunday school kid that everybody thought was a Christian, but I really didn't understand. But God spoke to me is what he's going to say. Look, if you will, at verse 5. Which knew me would testify, verse 6. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our fathers. Do you notice in the early part of our service, uh, the orchestra played, my hope is in the Lord. I didn't plan that. They did, Mrs. Butts, whoever planned the offertory. But I thought, we need to go and sing that song because it's right with the message. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin on Calvary for me. He died. For me, he lives and everlasting, life and light, he freely gives. Paul says, for this hope, I stand here today. For this hope that Moses in the Old Testament spoke that there was going to come a day of redemption for the people of Israel, that sin could be forgiven, there is hope. And could I say to every single person here this morning, as we think of the word hope, it means confidence. We can be confident that God in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, has made a way for your sin to be completely paid for. Can I have an amen on that? 
God's love and his mercy reaches down from heaven with a basket of confident hope. And Paul says to this group of religious, dead, lost people, even your religion and the basis of your religion way back to Moses allows for this hope. And it's to that hope that I cling. Look at verse five, 7. Unto which promise are 12 tribes instantly serving God day and night. Hope to come. Notice he picks up on that word hope again. Do you hope to come to a satisfying resolution with your sin to God? I'm here to tell you on the authority of the word of God, backed up by a 2,000-year testimony, that you can leave this service, or if you're listening on the, uh, on the internet today, you can leave listening to this message with an absolute confidence that when you die someday, that you are rightly related to God and can live with him forever. That is not a pie-in-the-sky uh, type of a thing that you say, it would be nice if I could reach to it. Paul says this is why I stand here this day for the hope that I found that was in Jesus. Look, if you will, please, in verse middle of verse 7. Night and day, hope to come, for which hope's sake, notice a third time he says it, for the hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused of the Jews. He said, I am willing to give my life to go all over the lands of the world for this message, for this message of confident hope that in Jesus Christ your sins can be forgiven. He said, I stand here, King Agrippa, accused of preaching that hope. Look on, please, in verse 8. Why should it be thought a thing horrible with you that God should raise the dead. And here's the issue for us. If you died today, this is a question that I try to teach people that go out to win people to Christ. I teach them to ask this question. And I ask it today at the beginning of our message. If you died today, are you 100% sure you'd be raised up to be with Jesus and God for eternity? I don't want anybody to die but boy, can we not think of it in the COVID-19 sense. I don't know what the numbers are. I don't know what the real numbers are. But I do know there's a lot of people that two months ago were living and today they're dead. And I hope that they had this hope. I hope that they knew Jesus Christ and Paul says, this hope, you, you think it's incredible that a man could have confidence? Do you think it's incredible that a man could have confidence that if he died, he would truly be resurrected with God for eternity? He said, this is what my whole life is about. And can I tell you, that's what this church stands for. And that's why we're here preaching. And that's why my life, personally as a pastor, it's about helping people to find that hope. This weekend, one of the men in the church came to me and said, Pastor, there was somebody that's in another situation going through tremendous problems. They have no hope. Pastor, would you talk to him? I'm glad to tell you that on the phone I was able to talk to that young person and he placed his faith in Jesus Christ. And today his hope is not in his circumstances. His hope is not in Pastor Butts. His hope is not in that man that was compassionate and trying to tell him. His hope is in Jesus. 
That is not an incredible thing if you're listening here this morning. It is an absolute promise of God. And Paul says, let me tell you how I know. And so now he begins the day he got saved. Can we look at that, please, in verse 9? I verily thought with myself that I ought to do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Looks how he starts. He says, you know, I was sincerely lost, and I really thought in my sincerity that Jesus' name and people that trusted in Jesus' name were fools. And he said, I thought to myself that all those people that are following this cult, this Jesus cult, this Christ cult, this Christianity, that I was going to straighten them out and try to show them they're fools. And so I set about my life persecuting anybody that was identifying with the name of Jesus. And I can tell you, there are some people that when they hear that somebody is believing in Jesus, they think, what a weak-minded person. What a fool that person is to believe on a dead individual from 2,000 years ago that supposedly rose from the dead, and they are laying their whole eternity and their life and their possessions all down to that person. What an idiot. And I've known a few people that think it's their mission to straighten people out. Paul said, I was one of those people. He goes on, look in verse 9. He says in verse 10, I'm sorry, which thing I also did in Jerusalem. And many of the saints did I shut up in prison. Now, what are the saints? Those are people that had converted to Jesus. He said, I made it my mission not only to straighten them out with my mouth, but I got warrants and writs of arrest And a lot of those, under Jewish law, they had converted out of Judaism, and I had them arrested and thrown in jail. Was Paul sincerely lost? Absolutely. And perhaps you're here this morning, and you're sincerely lost. You believe Jesus is not real, and you believe that uh, God is not real, and the Bible doesn't have the answers, and yet you're listening to me patiently because I challenged you to. Paul said, that's the way I was. I was sincerely doing that, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were about to be put to death, I was the one that gave my voice against them. Paul says, I raised my hand as witness. And do you notice when they were getting ready to be put to death, one of the things that Paul later on in his life, even though he was forgiven by God, would mention several times, in my sincerity against Christ, I saw many Christians killed. How would you like to deal with that in your heart? That you were part of the assassination gang, the imprisoned gang, the arresting gang. And when it came to prison and going through the Jewish legal whole jumps you had to do, you said, I'd like to give it, and you raised your hand in testimony against them. And maybe you were that final witness. They said, bang, they're guilty. And off they went to be killed in whatever form. And later on, to become a Christian, to think back to that day, wouldn't that be difficult? I think it would. But Paul mentions it. He said, that's, that's how sincere I was against Christ. It was real. I've known people, maybe not killing people, giving to, but I've known people that have been converted that were this sincere against Christ. And I'm telling you here that Jesus Christ is God's son. And if you'll give him half a chance and think about it, you'll realize that Jesus is your friend and he died for you, that he could be your savior. Let's go on, please, if you will. 
Look at verse 10. Which thing I did, gave my voice against them, verse 11. And I punished them oft in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. So he would go into churches. It says synagogues here, same thing. He would go into their houses of worship, find people that named the name of Jesus, and he persecuted them. And it says he compelled them to blaspheme. In other words, he would say, say Jesus isn't God. If you don't, I'm going to run you through or arrest you. They would get him to stand outside the church building and get him to deny, deny Jesus. Can you imagine if that happened today? We walked out the doors of the church here, and there's somebody standing out here, and they said, do you believe in Jesus? If you don't deny it, you're going to, and they start in on you. That's, I mean, Paul was part of a, a, a strong gang. Sincerely lost. Go on, please. It says, not only did he call, compel them to blaspheme, being exceedingly mad against them, I persecuted them even under strange cities. And so Paul is now spreading out his testimony. I did this in Jerusalem, which is, of course, where the temple and everything is and the synagogues around. But he said, I, when I got that sort of milk for what it was worth, I would hear that in a city a little distance off, I would go and I would get a writ warrant from the high priest and I would head off with that political, religious authority and I would arrest them and bring them back to Jerusalem and go through the process. So he was spreading sincerely, zealously spreading this effort to destroy Christianity. Look at verse 12. Here we find Paul. God is going to reveal some things to him. Whereupon I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. And on this road to Damascus, now in verse 13, here's where his conversion is going to take place. Here's a man, I mean, if there's a man that's sincerely against Christ, could you paint a much blacker picture? A more sincere case of a man that's truly committed against Jesus Christ. And yet this testimony is given here. Paul says that later on people could hear a man that did not believe on this day became a believer. Look at verse 12, 13. At midday, O king, I saw in the way a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Well, what's happening here? God is revealing himself. Paul just riding along, doing his, his, his Pharisee mission that he's on to persecute. In Damascus, he's going up north and headed to that city with this writ in his hand. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the day, it says midday, a light comes. It's so powerful, we're going to learn that it makes them to go to the ground off the horses. And Paul Saul hears a voice speaking to him. It's interesting in other parts of his testimony, nobody else could hear it. But I've heard testimonies of people before that when they were in a church service and God began to convict their heart and they said, Pastor, it was like from the moment that I heard that message begin that the preacher was calling me out by name. Nobody else seemed to notice other than it was a powerful light. 
But the voice was speaking to him, and he was talking to Paul's heart. He said, Pastor, how do I know if God's talking to my heart? You know. It's called conviction. In God's Holy Spirit, the Bible says there's three persons of the Spirit, God the Father, which is in heaven in his holy temple, which gives us a decrees. Jesus Christ, which came forth to perform the things of God. He spoke and the earth came to being. He came and he died on the cross. And he's the one that actively worked in creation. Then we have the Holy Spirit that maintains and works and organizes within creation. And it's that Holy Spirit that's working in this auditorium this morning. It's that spirit that speaks to your heart. And it seems like when Pastor Butts or you fell on whoever, it seems like they've got my attention and I can't understand why I can't get it. That is God speaking to your heart. Others around say, well, I, I hear a light. Pastor seems wound up today. But you know if God's speaking to your heart. Several years ago, I heard the story of a great preacher, Dr. Jack Hiles. Dr. Jack Hiles had a sermon that he would repeat quite often about the prodigal son. In the story of the prodigal son, I don't remember the names that he gave the two boys, but remember the prodigal son was one of two boys. There was an older son, and the prodigal was a younger son. And he asked for his dad, can I get my goods and go my way? He's a rebellious son, and, and he goes his way. In that story, Dr. Hiles, to make it humanly understandable, he names the boys with names like Tom and Jack. And he always, when he preached it, Tom was the older boy and Jack was the younger boy. And, and he would say, Jack asked for his goods and Jack was this and Jack was that. And he'd come back to his heart and he came back to his father and Jack got things made right with his father and he got the robe and he got all the different things. But as Dr. Howells got up this particular one day and he was going to preach this message, his mind went to talk about the oldest son and he thought, you know, God today... As I'm preaching about this, he said, there was an oldest son named Jack. I always call him Tom. Now he had to call the other son Tom. And he said, all the way through the sermon, you know, you're used to calling him the oldest Tom and Jack, and now he had to refer to Jack as Tom. And he said, ah, what, what was going on in my mind? And as he preached the message, he came to the end of the message and in the back row, there was a boy that didn't even wait for the invitation. He came down and split that altar wide open and got his heart right and saved that day. And the people in the church afterwards, he said, I don't know who this boy was, but this, this really is. The church started weeping. What in the world's going on here? And afterwards, one of the men walked up and said, that's the boldest message I've ever heard. You called out Jack by name. That was the preacher's son that's been rebellious and he consented to give one more chance for you to come and hear the great preacher Jack Hiles today. And so he patiently sat in that back seat and God's spirit dealt with him that day. You, know, you say, how do I know if God's speaking to my heart? You'll know. This message to some of us is just more light than we've heard before. It's the word of God. It's powerful. It's good. Amen. Let's go home. But maybe that's not you. Raised up just like Saul in a home where you've had all the answers and you're not that bad of a person. You sincerely rejected maybe some of what you heard. But this morning from 2,000 years ago, God is calling across the millennium to say, I am real. And why are you kicking against the pricks? 
Why are you rejecting me? I have shown you over and over again that I am God's son. And why do you kick against it? And I have no idea why God has stirred my heart to preach this, but I tell you, I could almost not wait to leave my, my office this morning. I believe there's a Tom or a Jack in this auditorium this morning. There's a Saul maybe listening across the waves of this internet. And you know that God, as if a light has struck you from heaven, and he's calling your name. And you know he's saying, see, I am real. And I can forgive your sins and raise you from the dead. And you need to submit to me. Well, Paul gives testimony to this. I was sincerely lost, but God in his grace and his mercy smote me to the ground that I would submit to him that day. Look on, if you will, please, in verse 15. And I said, who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. I think there's a couple interesting things here. First of all, he said, who art thou, Lord? I think instantly he knew this was a different time in his life and that God was speaking to him. Wow. This wasn't like listening to any old radio sermon or the preacher getting up and saying, turn your Bible. God had moved in that day and he had spoken directly and he said, who are you, Lord? God, I acknowledge it's you. Perhaps you're here this morning and you know that God, from the beginning of this service, from the beginning of this message, he's been saying to you, I believe at this moment, Saul gets saved. Lord, I'm done fighting. Lord, just show me for sure who you are. Lord, you show me who you are and tell me who you are and I'll let you run my life. And the Lord answers him. If you have a red letter edition of the Bible, you'll find that this passage is back and forth between black letters and red letters. Red is what we believe was said by Jesus himself. This is Jesus speaking down, even though Jesus has died, was buried, rose again, lived for 40 days, ascended into heaven. This is Jesus in his grace to the apostle, as it were, out of due time, bringing him to Christ to show the grace and mercy of God. And he said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus. You know, we're so used to that name, Jesus, but would you just keep your finger here and go back to Matthew chapter 1, and let's just see, right at the beginning of the Bible, when this name of Jesus is introduced to our ears. Matthew chapter 1, first book of the New Testament, the first chapter, after all the lineages are laid out, and finally we're going to come to Jesus being born, Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. And she shall bring forth a son, that's Mary. And thou shalt call his name Jesus. But there's a reason connected with that verse. For he shall save his people from their sins. The very naming of God's son says, I came to save your soul. And every time a person says Jesus, do you realize what they're saying? They're saying, Savior, Lord Jesus, Lord Savior. 
Jesus, come into my heart. Jesus, save me. That literally is what Jesus means. And so he says, what is you? who are you? I'm your Savior. I'm Jesus. I'm that name that you said was powerless. I am that one that you dismissed. First Peter said like the, the rock when the builders were building and they thought this rock is misshapen and it has no use for me. And I threw it over there only that when I got my life all put together and I looked around and said, what's missing? And I found out it was Jesus the whole time. I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. I'm Jesus, the one that you had no time for. I'm Jesus, the one that you said had no value. I'm Jesus that came to save you. And I'm still wanting to save you. And so on this day, I'm getting your attention, Saul. Bow the knee and let me in. Could I say to you this morning, what is Jesus going to have to do? He's shouting down over the corridors of time to you afresh through this testimony to say, I am God, and I can and will and want to save your soul. Let me be your Lord. Let me be your Savior. In verse 16, it goes on. But rise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in which I will appear unto thee. Can you imagine the very day that Paul gets saved, God says, not only do I want to be your savior, but I want you to be a preacher. I tell you what, that would be a, open your eyes. I not only want you to do, to to be saved and come in under the name of Christ, but I want you to become an evangelist of that name. I want you to become a witness. And can I tell you, uh, that's exactly what Paul did. But I think we find here, not only did Paul that day get saved, but right here, the Lord is calling him to make him the Lord and master and to dedicate his life unto him at that point. Verse 17, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom uh, now I, I send thee to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from darkness of the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Paul said that day, not only did I get saved, but I got given a mission to make sure that people could find Jesus Christ. If you notice in verse 18, to open their eyes, to turn them from darkness to the light, from the power of death to life, that they would come from darkness to light. And I'm here this morning to tell you that same message is still true today, that God wants you to step out of the darkness into the light. He wants you to be saved. I don't know who it would be in this auditorium, but that's the purpose of this pastor's heart today, to echo and say amen with this 2,000-year-old testimony, Jesus still saves. And he's still calling men and women to bow their knee to the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 19. We find Paul's verbal response to this. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. Could I ask you as a Christian here, we've talked a lot to maybe somebody, God speaking to your heart that 
you have heard the name of Christ but never submitted to it and thought of it much value. And God, 2,000 years now, is maybe sending this testimony to say, patiently listen, I love you, and my name can still save. But to the Christian, he's saying here, have you been obedient to the vision God has for a Christian? What is that vision? To witness the gospel to anybody that will hear. To share to those that are in darkness the light. Across my email came a thing from a missionary trying to provoke people. He said, I'd like to share with you the testimony of one of the early missionaries to China. This man would come back to England and challenge the people, and I read just two or three paragraphs. It's laying on my desk. I should have read it, got it to read to you. And it says basically this. You've been brought from the darkness to the light. You live in a land full of light. You live in a land where Jesus is loved and you know Christ as your Savior and you're secure in your eternity. But he said, I would remind you of something. There's a majority of the world that still lives in darkness. And in his case, he pointed to China. And as he pointed to China all those hundreds of years ago, he, he said this. He said, who's going to tell them? He said, I'm here to challenge you like I have to lay my life down and your life down to go and tell the people that live in darkness that they can come to the light just like you have. Then he goes one step further in that challenge. We all will be brought before the judgment seat of Christ one day to answer for what we have done with the knowledge of the light to those that were in darkness. And boy, that challenges my heart afresh towards missions, doesn't it, you? Have we enjoyed living in the light? Say amen. We had our road to Damascus experience where Jesus saved our soul, and we could say, Lord, I've stopped kicking against the pricks. But then the Lord just pivots right then, and he says, now you've got a commission to go help other people to have their eyes open similarly. You know, as I've been studying and thinking on this this week, you know, it's caused me to go out and I've told you before, I get, I, I, when I just get frustrated, about, I haven't had any opportunities to go soul winning, I'll go out and stand on the sidewalk. Jessica, I'm so glad you showed up today. God's stirring my heart. Do you realize how many people walk in front of our church in darkness? I don't think that was true of you, Jessica. I think you know Christ. I don't want you to. But do you realize how many people probably walk in darkness across the light portal of this church? I wonder how many people walk across the edges of the light of your life. You work with them every day. They come and go. Maybe you, maybe you hire them. Maybe you work for you. You give them their paycheck. You nail nails together. You swap floors together. You pass emails back and forth all day. Your paperwork is flying like this. Has the light of your life shown into their life? Can you imagine that you've worked with people and lived with people and your house has been bordered in the neighborhood with people and you've been dwelling securely in the light and you've never accepted the second half of this commission that Paul's talking about today? He said, I'm calling you to the light and I'm calling you then to turn others to the light. It's a two-step proposition. So Paul said, 
I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. I got saved and I committed my life. Where do you stand today? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior? And are you following the great commission of God to send the light around the world, particularly starting at your doorstep of your influence? Look, if you will, verse 20. But showed first unto them of Damascus. He said, I, I got saved and I went up that, that town I was going to Damascus. I started there. And then he said, then I went back to Jerusalem, and then I went to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. For these causes, the Jews caught me in the temple and went about to kill me. He said, the reason why I'm here today is because Jesus apprehended me as my Savior. He put me on a mission to take the gospel to the world, and that gospel started that day. It went to Jerusalem. It went to the suburbs. It went to the Gentiles, and when they saw me, me preaching Jesus just like I all those years ago was against that name. They were against that name too. Verse 22, having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both to small and great. Here the gospel is not just for kings, is it? And it's not just for small. It's not just for bus kids that we bring in or neighborhood Bible time and boy, we ought to have these evangelistic things. It's not just for people and missions. The gospel is for everybody. There's nobody in your acquaintance or my acquaintance that is not worthy and needy of the gospel message. And Paul says, so that from that point on, whether the opportunity seems small or whether it is great to stand before Caesar, in his case. I've taken every opportunity that came along. And that led me to this day. And that's why I'm before you, King Agrippa. Now we're getting into reality, aren't we? Paul's brought this testimony. This is what God's done for me. This is the mission. This is the focus. Hey, you know, I told you to listen to me patiently. You have understanding of spiritual things. You know God. You know the Bible. You've heard of this name, Jesus. Agrippa, it's time for you to consider your soul. And so Paul takes this, and Paul gives him an invitation at this point. Look, if you will, verse 23, that Christ should suffer and that he should be the first thing, uh, the first that should rise from the dead and should show light unto the people and to the Gentiles. So what's Paul's message? Verse 23 is basically the gospel, that Jesus Christ would take the sins of the world and that he would suffer the penalty of that sin. The wages of sin, help me, the wages of sin is death. And Jesus Christ took my sin and he died in my place and yours. But do not think it incredible that God the Father received Jesus' shed blood as a full payment and he raised him from the dead. And it's this power of this resurrection that he offers to anybody for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And he preaches that straight out to Agrippa. Verse 24, Agrippa gives his initial answer. And as he thus spake for himself, Festus said with a loud voice, 
thou art beside thyself. Much learning doth make thee mad. So the other king actually speaks here. You know what he, what he says? Let's just get to what, he, what he's saying. You're crazy. This message you're preaching, but you know what? This is Festus's response. But I believe it's Agrippa that's un, under conviction. Look on, please, in verse 25. I'm for 26. For the king knoweth of these things, before whom I also speak freely. For I am persuaded that none of these things are hidden from King Agrippa, from him. For this thing was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, now he comes to that bold, valiant, soul-winded, pointed question. King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that you believe. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost. Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Boy, over the years, I've tried to I go back and research it every time I preach on this. People are divided in exactly how the tone, you know, you can't always get the tone of a voice in paper. Some people say it was like, a very earnest looking in the eye and said, almost. I wish I could. You almost persuaded me. Others take it as sarcastic. Yeah, like almost you persuaded me. And others take it middle road. You've almost persuaded. I'm going to keep thinking about this as I leave this place. I tend to take the first I would like to do it. You've almost got me, Paul. But I think these words will echo in the mind of King Agrippa unless there's more to the story that we are not privy to when he stands before the great judgment seat of God and he'll be reported back as you have had the witness of the, the premier soul winner in the world to share his testimony and you had understanding and you knew who Jesus was and you had firsthand accounts of dead witnesses uh, of their lives being martyred. And you said, almost, almost. Christians, could I say to you, almost is not good enough. You can't almost be a Christian. So I come, I haven't turned God completely down. Listen, if you said, not now, later, almost, it's a decision for right this moment to say, Almost is not good enough. Almost is what many people say. Whether you miss heaven by a mile or one inch, you still missed it. You ever seen people in the Olympics? They swing and jump and they, they especially the acrobat, you know, the people who do all the gymnastic things and the rings and they fly up and they just miss catching that little thing by a milli. They still fall flat in their face. Almost is not good enough. If you're here this morning and you almost believe in Jesus, as compassionately strong, I can say it, you're still going to go to hell. The Bible says we all will give an account for our sins. 
and without the mercy and grace and forgiveness of God through Jesus shed blood on the cross and he took my penalty of death and God received that that sacrifice for my sin without that faith in that work of Jesus Christ almost is not good enough. Almost thou persuadest. What is persuade? It brings the idea to me that the Holy Spirit is working. He's persuading. I don't know how my message fits into the context of your spiritual thoughts. But it is totally possible to someone hearing this message this morning and you're saying, Pastor, you have no idea of what God's been doing in my life to bring you to preach on this today. And I'm almost persuaded by God that he's real. Almost persuaded. Listen to the voice of God. Let him touch your heart. Don't turn a deaf ear almost persuaded to be a Christian. Where does that word Christian come from? It's actually a a negative term given to this first century Christian. Oh, you're one of those Christians, Christ ones. It was a slur. Maybe you could fill in something. You say, oh, you're one of those, and you fill in. You're a Christian. Almost thou persuadest me to be, this is a new word in their time. A Jesus freak. I'm a Christian. You've almost persuaded me. A long time ago, God persuaded me that Jesus was real. Young boy just understanding who Jesus was. And I thank God I wasn't so full of all my own intelligence that I put up all the answers against him. But when I heard, understand, I received. Can you say that? Paul goes just a step further now, and it says in verse 28, Then Agrippa said unto Paul, Almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. And Paul said, I would to God that not only thou, but also all that hear me this day were both almost and altogether such as I am, except in this prison bonds. Paul said, I don't want you to be in this prison bonds. But Agrippa, I wish you had what I have. That's my heart's earnest. But I want you to look at this first. Just That's Agrippa. It's long since past. But do you notice what else Paul said in there? And this is what really spoke to me about the title of our message. He said that both thou and everybody that hears me this day, do you realize God put a heavenly tape recorder on this testimony. And he played it back for one more group of people this morning to hear it this day. And Paul says, I wish, I wish that you would let it sink in and make a difference in your life and you'd be saved. Verse 30, and when he had said thus, spoken, it says the king rose up, the governor, they went out, and, and this man said nothing worthy. We don't know what Agrippa did. But I do know that day he did not believe right there. In a moment, we're going to end this service. 
In a moment, if you're listening on the, on the internet, you're going to be a point where you hit, boom, it's off, and you go on to something else. And very quickly, the seed of the word of God that's been sown in your heart will probably fly away. Don't lose this opportunity. Almost. Almost persuaded. I'd like to read from you a hymn that was written by Philip Bliss years and years ago. If you'd like to turn there to follow, it just so might, might mean more to you. 322. He wrote a song about this testimony. I think it's about the best conclusion I could give is to read it to you. 322. It's entitled, Almost Persuaded. Almost persuaded now to believe. Almost persuaded Christ to receive. Seems now some soul to say, Go, Spirit, go thy way. Some more convenient day on the alcohol. That's a blow-off, isn't it? More convenient day. Almost persuaded, come, come today. Almost persuaded, turn not away. Jesus invites you here. Angels are lingering near. Do you realize the angels are looking down in this auditorium today? And I wonder if we could hear their voice say, come on, come on. Prayers rise from hearts so dear. Maybe there's somebody that's been praying for you to come to faith in Jesus Christ for a long time. And their hearts are saying, oh, I hope they're listening to pastor today. Oh, wanderer, come. Almost persuaded, harvest is past. Almost persuaded, doom comes at last. Almost cannot avail. There's a big word, avail. Almost can't get the job done. Almost is but to fail. Sad, sad, that bitter will. Almost but lost. I would challenge you today, if you don't know Jesus as your Savior, and today God's Spirit has patiently told you, I have spoken with a fresh light from all these centuries past that I am God, I am Jesus. Quit pushing back against me and let me come into your heart. Will you let him in today? Heavenly Father, I pray that you take this message and bring it upon the hearts of every person that hears it. Father, surely there's someone that's maybe in that valley of decision and you've brought them to the crosshairs of their own desire. Help them not to almost, but help them to believe and come into the light and be saved by Jesus Christ today. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed, I wonder how many here could say, Pastor, there's not a doubt in my heart that there's been a time before I ever came here today where I heard the voice of God 
and it told me to receive Jesus as my Savior. And I said, yes, and I know that I am a believer, a Christian. I have accepted Christ as my own Savior. It is settled, done. It's real. If that's true of you, could you just slip your hand up where I can see it? I know Jesus. Amen. Hands back down. I wonder if there's somebody here and you say, Pastor Butts. I don't know that I've received Christ as my Savior. I've known about him. I've Just like Saul, I've heard all the different things. But God's Spirit is drawing on my heart today, and he's saying, let me be your Savior. I am Jesus, who you've been resisting. And I'm knocking at the door of your heart. Will you believe? Don't say almost. Say I will. If you'd like to accept Christ as your Savior, I'm going to ask right where you are in your seat to say to the Lord today, Jesus, I believe you are God's Son. And I know that I'm a sinner unworthy of salvation. I believe on you with the power to save my soul today. Come into my heart. Lord, I pray if there's some that have prayed that prayer, whether in this auditorium or elsewhere, may you just give them that peace and assurance and may you help me as a pastor and us as a church to find ways to now help them to grow in that relationship. Lord, thank you for this 2,000-year-old testimony that lives even on for others to hear. In Jesus' name, with heads bowed and eyes closed. I wonder if there's somebody here and you say, Pastor, today I prayed that prayer. And I'd like to just you to know it and want you to pray for me as we would leave today. Pastor, I prayed and asked Jesus in my heart. Is there someone like that to slip their hand up where I could see it? Pastor, I made that prayer between me and God and I didn't almost get saved. I accepted to Jesus today. Pray for me. I would continue my invitation to one more step because it was two things Paul did. I was not disobedient under the heavenly vision to take the gospel to help the eyes of those to be opened that were in the darkness to come to the light, to turn from the power of darkness to the power of freedom of what I have in Jesus. I wonder if there's somebody here and you say, Pastor, although I'm saved, I have not been much of a witness. That second part of my calling of God is to carry the message forward. And today God stirred my heart. There are those in China. There are those in my neighborhood. There are those that I see regularly. And my voice needs to raise up stronger. Pray for me. Is there someone like that today? Many, many hands. Pray for me too. Amen. Pray for me too, Pastor. My voice needs to be stronger. I need to be obedient with the gospel message. Pray for me too. Amen. Lord, help us to be good witnesses for you. Seal this message to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.